It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to another episode of Locked on Vikings. I'm your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at LukeBraunNFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked on Vikings. This show is available anywhere you find your favorite podcasts like Podbean, Spotify, Himalaya, whatever you like. Or you can always ask your smart device like Google Home, Alexa, or even Siri. Play podcast Locked on Vikings to get right to the most recent episode. And today is the in-depth preview day. This is the last time we're going to talk Uh, until the Giants game. Uh, Crazy news notwithstanding. I'll get to that in a second. So this is going to be the preview of the Giants. We'll talk about some of this to follow up on some of the stuff uh, that we talked about with Patricia Trena in yesterday's episode. That was Crossover Wednesday. A lot of really interesting insights there. I really enjoyed that conversation. Do go check that out. Uh, We'll kind of follow up on some of that stuff. Look into some of the ways that the Giants can be exploited. Some of the things that maybe aren't as exploitable as they look on the surface uh, and so on. But The way that we usually start this is with the injury report, and so let's get right into that. So, obviously, the big news on the injury report is that Diggs was a a DNP. He did not participate for non-injury-related reasons, and I'll talk about that at length in a minute. Uh, But some other news that I don't want to get swept under the rug is that uh, Josh Klein is practicing again on a limited basis, still concussion uh, but that usually means that he's near the end of the concussion protocol, uh, and if he's he's limited on the first day, very unlikely that he sits out another game. So likely getting Josh Klein back, and that's really important. Dakota Dozier struggled quite a bit in the two games that he's had to play. Also, Anthony Harris uh, did not participate with the same quad injury that knocked him out of the Bears game, so Jaron Curse probably gets the start in his stead, although Curse also is a full participant, but also has a ding. Uh, no other major surprises. Mackenzie Alexander still working back from that elbow injury, though he fixes to play again and hopefully will do a better job than he did against the Bears. I still think he struggled pretty mightily there. But that brings us to the... Oh, and uh, Garrett Bradbury was limited with a shoulder injury, but also probably should be fine unless he gets downgraded throughout the week. So now... That brings us to the big one, which is Stefan Diggs did not participate, non-injury related. So that set off a whole bunch of alarm bells. And if you're unfamiliar, maybe you have uh, been blessed by not being inundated in Vikings-related social media. So Stefan Diggs has kind of had a saga going on. I have not really wanted to talk about it on here because I like to st- stick to on-field stuff. But now he's missing practice, so it kind of has become relevant uh, more so than it was in the past. So what I'm going to do is just lay out kind of what we know about Stefan Diggs. And then let then I'll offer kind of my own opinions, but at least it's laid out in one kind of big giant uh, story, basically, so that you know what to make of it. So here's the story with Stefan Diggs. There was a little bit of speculation when he missed a couple of OTAs, the voluntary kind of OTAs, in back in May. And then he returned by day three of them, and everything resumed as normal. Some people asked, he said something about needing to get his house in order, called it a personal issue, and nobody really felt the need to poke any further into his private private life. Pretty fair, right? But as this season has gone on, there has been some mounting frustration, right? And we've talked about it at length. Of course, the offense is sputtering. Uh, Kirk Cousins is not locating digs when he's open downfield. That would be frustrating for any wide receiver. And we've even seen it kind of boil over on the sideline. And even after plays, you know, he'll throw his arms up like I was open. So there's been some, like, palpable frustration and tension. And that might even go back to, like, August and the preseason. Uh, Matt Collar and Courtney Cronin of Score North and, and ESPN and stuff, they 
actually spoke with Diggs, and they said while, you know, everybody kind of stayed to the party line when they asked their questions, they could sense some tension. And maybe there's just in their own heads, maybe they were reading into something that wasn't there. Of course, I wasn't in the room. I can't speak to that. But they have kind of said for a while that they have sensed some kind of, you know, underlying ominous tension. Add to that, in the last couple of games, when the reporters come into the locker room to ask questions, Diggs will slip out fully in pads so he doesn't have to talk to the media, which is not against any rules. There may be team rules about it, but it is uh, kind of, for lack of a better word, a dick move. Then Diggs shows up on the injury report, didn't practice, wasn't even in the building, I think, by the reporting, and it's not injury-related. So that kind of... threw up a lot of red flags, it raised all the alarm bells, and now trade speculation is kind of the major uh, major theory out there, but there's a bunch of theories. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to break out the soothing music that we brought out last week, I think we could all use that, and then we'll discuss the merits of all this. Okay, hopefully this helps. Now, a lot of reporters have done some digging and looked into this. Everybody on the Minnesota beat has been trying to leverage their sources for any information, and they've come up empty. Now, if there were trade talks going on with Stefan Diggs or anything else like that, these organizations aren't that tight-lipped. That would have come out. And in fact, somebody in the Boston market, Tom Curran, I'll, I'll link in the show notes, asked on the Patriots, and the Patriots are a popular trade destination. There was uh, one fake report that went kind of viral about it. And he asked, and the Boston inside source that he had said that the Vikings have no plans to trade Stefan Diggs. So I want you to all take a deep breath in and a deep breath out. They have no plans to trade Stefan Diggs per a fairly credible Boston sports reporter. Now, that doesn't alleviate everything. Diggs may be frustrated. A lot of players are frustrated. Adam Thielen has been very outspoken about his frustration, and there are a couple of alternative theories that I may propose for this kind of thing. The Vikings may have a team policy about how you interact with the media, and slipping out of the locker room before the media can ask you questions may be a violation of that policy. That's not an NFL rule or anything that uh, would make like national news. It's something they would handle entirely internally, and sitting out of a practice is a reasonable explanation for that. There's a pretty good chance that we have... That's just one crack theory. There's a good chance that we have an answer by the time you're listening to this, and by the time the injury report for Thursday and Friday come out, we'll probably have a lot more information about whether or not Stefan Diggs plays in New York. But for now, the worst-case scenario is... Probably that Diggs is going through uh, some sort of mental health issue, similar to kind of the way that Everson Griffin disappeared for a while before we really found out what was going on with him last year. And in that case, I ask everybody to simply support a player on your favorite football team, because in that case, he would need it. But it's more likely that he's just frustrated, and the team is dealing with it in a way that they know how. Anything else is kind of wild guessing but it doesn't seem right now like there is uh, much in place for the Vikings to get rid of Stefan Diggs. So take a deep breath in and a deep breath out. And the way I'm going to wrap this up before we get on to uh, game preview is I want to talk about the merits of a trade because this is something that needs to be uh, kind of explained. Stefan Diggs' contract is not very uh, conducive to a trade at all. He would incur a dead cap penalty of $3 million this year and $9 million next year per uh, overthecap.com. That would 
put a pretty big damper on the Vikings making any moves to recuperate the value lost with Stefan Diggs. Diggs is a premier superstar wide receiver in the prime of his career. That's a really valuable asset. And if he were traded to another team, that team wouldn't be on the hook for any of his signing bonus. So he would actually be cheaper for that other team than he is for the Vikings. The Vikings would retain some chunk of his contract because it's all wrapped up in signing bonus. They've already, the money has already exchanged hands, so the Vikings are always going to be on the hook for it. So to make a trade worth it, you would need an ungodly amount of compensation. I mean, I'm talking quarterback level draft picks. I'm talking multiple firsts or a superstar like Jalen Ramsey or, or Jerry Hughes or somebody in that range. You would need something pretty intense, and other teams aren't going to be willing to give up something that intense for a player they perceive to be Antonio Browning their way out of a team. But none of that's happening. It's all being very blown out of proportion. Listen to the evidence that I gave you earlier in this segment. Take a deep breath and ask yourself, is the locker room falling apart, or is it just a team that thinks they could have been better, and they're trying to cope with that? Now, maybe you need to stress eat about these digs rumors or the potential of going on the road and ending up two and three. Treat yourself to the meal you deserve and have your favorite restaurants come to you with DoorDash. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code LOCKEDON. I also want to talk to you about my bookie. You guys kind of know what's going to go on in a, a lot of these games, right? Some of these are obvious. Of course, you guys are smart. You know what's going to happen. So why not put a buck down on it and put your money where your mouth is? MyBookie.ag is the place to go for online sports betting. They have an awesome website. I love how easy it is to navigate. Uh, that's like my favorite part of it is that it's it's super convenient to just go in, place the bet you want to you want to bet, and move on. Just wait for the money to come in later. It's that easy. If you feel real confident in a bunch of games, why not try a parlay where if you win all of them, your money multiplies exponentially. So head on over to mybookie.ag right now, and when you sign up, enter promo code Locked On, and they will double your first deposit. That's free gambling money. So what are you waiting for? Head over to mybookie.ag right now. Hi, this is David Locke, the CEO of the Locked On Podcast Network. In this crazy, unprecedented, and unnerving time, I know we're all living our lives a little differently. I thought we had some of our sponsors over the time that might be able to help you out. So we've reached out to them to get you specific offers. Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for their first seven days. Start your free deliveries, download the Postmates app, and use the promo code LOCKEDONNBA. Anxiety, stress, need something to calm yourself down? The Calm app is available for you. 40% off to our listeners at calm.com slash LOCKEDONNBA. Stuck at home, want fitness? Echelon Fit has been a sponsor of ours. And you can go to echelonfit.com slash L-O-N-B-A. And if you're looking to add some new knowledge and get a little smarter in your free time, Masterclass, or at least your time at home, masterclass.com slash P-E-R is offering 15% off. If you missed any of those, go to lockdownpodcast.com slash offers. That's lockdownpodcast.com slash offers. Thank you very much for tuning in to Lockdown Podcast Network. We hope to be here for you to give you a relief and a respite from all the other news. And thanks very much. Be safe and practice your social distancing. All right, enough belly aching about Stefan Diggs and the sputtering offense from Chicago. Let's talk about the New York Giants because they're a really interesting team, and I'm looking forward to watching how the Vikings decide to match up against them and, and the strategies that they take. So I want to start by following up on a couple of the things on the defensive side of the ball that uh, Patricia Trena told me about yesterday on Crossover Wednesday. So obviously, like the first question that I'm going to ask about pretty much every one of the Vikings opponents from here on out is how are they at generating pressure, right? Because we just have seen so much 
uh, pressure, pr pressure being exacerbated and pressure just coming far too often in the first place. So, like, how good our defense is going to be at, at taking advantage of that particular flaw in the Vikings game? And with the Giants, the news is pretty good. They have not been good at generating pressure at all. There's a stat that I tweeted out earlier uh, on Wednesday that was... Uh, if you just look at the pressures generated from the best two New York Giants, that's Lorenzo Carter and Marcus Golden. They're two outside linebackers, they're, uh, but it's a 3-4, so it's, it's uh, you know, the, the Von Miller position. They're two guys um, in that position have generated 24 pressures between them. You know who else has generated 24 pressures on the season? Daniil Hunter, by himself. And he doesn't even rank first among the Vikings. Everson Griffin has 27. So, like, they are generating pressure at 50% the clip that the Vikings are. So it's going to be a pretty stark contrast from where the Vikings are coming from with, you know, Khalil Mack over there and Eddie Goldman and Roy Robertson-Harris and Leonard Floyd. That is a much different defensive line than what the Vikings are about to go up against. The only one with, like, a good PFF grade is the rookie Dexter Lawrence. And he's more of a run-stuffing nose-tackle type, although he has been able to generate a reasonable amount of pressure for a nose-tackle, and of course the interior offensive line of the Vikings is always going to be a concern, although it'll be nice to probably get Josh Klein back. That's going to be an area that like doesn't sink the Vikings in the way that it did against the Packers or Bears. This is a particular week where that problem... I'm sure it'll still be something. I mean, we still saw the Vikings offensive line like not beat up the Raiders as much as they should, and I imagine we'll get a similar result here, but it's certainly not going to define the game. And if it does, we have a way, way bigger problem. The other place that they're like kind of front seven comes into play is in the run game, where I'm sure the Vikings are going to want to go back to, you know, getting it kind of sorted out and trying to put a little bit more good tape out there, especially coming off of what Chicago did to that run game. I would not be shocked at all to see the Vikings come back and just like try to pound it right back in and, and, you know, get that rhythm back. And Patricia Trainey yesterday pointed out, like, you know, run outside zone, run sweeps, because the Golden and uh, Lorenzo Carter aren't as good at, at defending that. But I think the problem actually lies elsewhere. They both have reasonable run defense grades, and in the amount of tape that I watched, I just watched, like, some of the bigger plays that the Giants gave up to see kind of who was the culprit on them. Uh, and, and it didn't really seem like those guys were the issue, though they didn't exactly stack and shed very well. I actually kind of foresee pretty good games for Riley Reef and Brian O'Neill. I feel good about their chances in this one. But what I really saw was a difficulty at the linebacker position, which Patricia also uh, mentioned that the linebackers are in a huge, huge rut. So the most productive linebacker for the New York Giants against the run has been Ryan Connolly, the rookie. He has eight run stops. Eric Kendricks for the Vikings has 16 in the same amount of time. And Ryan Connolly, their leading most productive uh, run defense linebacker, who also has a pretty bad run defense grade. And, and I think a lot of it is just like poor gap discipline. But when he makes but like he could still make plays at a high enough clip that he kind of made up for it a lot. Eric Kendricks has 16. He's doubled that. And without the gap discipline issues that have plagued the Vikings elsewhere. Now, Tay Davis and Alec Ogletree will probably be called upon to do a lot more than Nate Stupar, maybe. Uh, that is going to be a problem for the Giants because their gap discipline has been, like, really, really off. Uh, usually against the run game, you want to kind of stay in your gaps. You have been assigned, if the running back goes up this way, it's your job to make it, you know, if the running back goes between that guard and that tackle, it's your job to stop it. But what I saw like Tay Davis do, I saw Connolly do this some, was like kind of try to play hero ball. If the running back fakes one way, you'll abandon your gap and try to shoot it and go make a big play. And then suddenly you've gotten out of your gap and it's really easy for the running back to cut back and get a big play. Good thing Dalvin Cook is specifically good at that. I actually feel great about the run game in this one because of the way that the front seven messes up. It's kind of how I felt about the pass game 
against Oakland. And by the way, the secondary in New York, I'll get to in a second, is also a big problem. But it just feels like the way that the Giants run defense fails when it does fail, and they haven't been really that poor. They haven't given up like uh, ungodly production or anything like that. Uh, but the way that they mess up when they mess up is like specifically tailored to generate success for teams that want to win the way the Vikings want to win. So I feel really, as I start your Dalvin Cooks, <laughs> if you weren't already. Moving on to the secondary, uh, Janoris Jenkins has had an up and down season, but who I really want to talk about is DeAndre Baker, the rookie uh, cornerback over there. He had an absolutely abysmal start to the year. His first two weeks, I think he gave up almost 300 yards. And uh, in weeks three and four, he's really turned it around. He's only given up like 35 yards on five targets, only allowed three of them to be caught. He's actually like kind of red hot. So I'm super curious to see what he does in this game. Now, Janoris Jenkins has shadowed Mike Evans, Amari Cooper, and John Brown this year. So he's kind of the one that's seen as their like number one corner. So this is the part where it gets really, really important to see if Diggs plays or not. Uh, And of course, who knows what's going on with that. But if Janoris Jenkins can shadow Adam Thielen, and the only other thing the rookie has to put up with is like Ola B.C. Johnson or, you know, tight ends or whatever, I I think that the Vikings will have a harder time getting the ball to move on this secondary because I actually think DeAndre Baker might actually, you know, be figuring it out. So it may not be as much of a problem as it kind of initially presents itself as when you look at, at just the raw stats. But I think a rookie, even a rookie that's playing well, I think Stefan Diggs and or Adam Thielen will be just too much for him to handle. And if you can get a one-on-one on the outside there, you can really start to move the ball. And I could see some of those deep, beautiful rainbow Kirk Cousins touchdowns. We've seen quite a few of them. I could see that kind of showing up here. We saw one last time the Vikings traveled to the Meadowlands against the Jets last year. So all in all, like if the Vikings lose this game, I think it's because the interior offensive line fails really bad and Dexter Lawrence has this like ungodly breakout game. Or because Diggs doesn't play, they double cover Adam Thielen and the passing game can never get going. But I just don't think the Giants have enough manpower to, like, make both of those things be true. I, I really like Dalvin Cook's odds in this one. I really like Kirk Cousins' odds in this one. As, as hard as I've been on him this week, I actually really like him to bounce back. Let's move on to the offense, and specifically where the Giants are threatening. And, and I basically looked into this uh, kind of on the recommendation of what Patricia's answers to these questions were. But essentially, the two threats I see being like the most important here are Sterling Shepard and Golden Tate. And I am very curious to see how the Vikings handle this. On previous teams with Golden Tate on them that the Vikings have played, which is which is the Lions, they had Xavier Rhodes shadowing Marvin Jones. There's not a Marvin Jones on this team, however. There is a Sterling Shepard. He has been extremely productive out of the slot, especially. Uh, he's done really great. Golden Tate is also kind of a slot guy, so I, I would imagine that a still banged up Mackenzie Alexander and a still getting warm Mike Hughes will be kind of vulnerable spots. That's a really a matchup to watch, I think, is Sterling Shepard in the slot versus whoever ends up getting the start there. Uh, maybe Mackenzie Alexander will get less time because of how his game uh, against Chicago went. He was benched in the middle of that game, so that's another kind of thing that's like worth watching is now that both of these guys are healthy, like it was kind of a battle, and Mackenzie Alexander won that battle by default because Mike Hughes couldn't play in the preseason, but that battle is still kind of raging on, so it's something to watch week to week. I think Mike Hughes probably gets more snaps for now, but that's very subject to change and fluctuate throughout the year. But whoever it is, they're going to have their hands full with Sterling Shepard, who I think is underrated, and Golden Tate, who's coming off of a suspension, fresh, and, you know, a, a typical Viking killer. He was a huge thorn in our side when he was in Detroit and had some of his best games against the Vikings. 
Patricia also mentioned uh, Evan Engram, who has kind of been acting as the lead receiver in these four weeks while they don't have Golden Tate. I kind of don't know if the Giants are going to keep doing that. I mean, obviously, there's a rapport thing when you have a rookie quarterback, he's going to throw who he's comfortable with. But like, I think that when you have another viable wide receiver, you can start to do some more standard things. And Evan Evan Engram will be more in more of a tight end role. But what I can really see for this one is essentially, uh, you know, leaving Rhodes and Waynes out on, on an island in the boundary and then playing very crowded, middle of the field, closed type coverages to kind of take advantage of that slot thing, pass off any outside routes to, to Rhodes or Waynes, and then just like let everything else funnel inside to where the linebackers are lurking. Uh, I, I wonder if the Vikings blitz a lot in this one. I mean, obviously, you, like, I want to blitz the rookie quarterback, but the rookie quarterback can also scramble and can also extend plays, and then blitzes can kind of bite you. So I wonder if Zimmer maybe takes a more conservative approach to this one. You know, keep keep the rookie quarterback that can run around and, in fact, has gotten some of his best plays, like, on the ground with his legs and not with his arm. Maybe keep him in the pocket and bite, bait him into throws that can generate turnovers. Evan Engram is one of the highest graded and most productive tight ends in the league right now. Uh, he's in the top 10 in both categories, uh, but I think that you can kind of play a tight zone, not a, not a soft like off coverage zone, but you can t- play a tight zone and, and use pattern match concepts, even though, you know, Pat Schirmer will be familiar with that. I don't think he has the tools to combat it that well. I think it'll work out okay. As for the Giants run game and slowing that down, because I do think that Shermer and, and company are still going to try to get that run game going, you know, with Gallman, who is a plenty good running back. I'm actually a big fan of Wayne Gallman. Uh, he's no Saquon Barkley, of course, but I, I think that they'll want to get that running game going just because of how I'm familiar with Shermer and how the Giants have kind of operated in the last couple years. And unfortunately for them, their uh, offensive line has not been that much better at run blocking than, say, the Vikings offensive line. And there's all kinds of problems along that unit with like Elfline and Bradbury and, and the Giants have similar issues. The tackles especially uh, have had issues pass blocking, which I'll get to in a second, but there isn't anybody. I mean, the, the only uh, positively graded pa- run blockers are the two tight ends, Engram and Rhett Ellison, old friend. So to me, that tells me that I don't think they're going to be able to get a lot going up the middle, you know, at Linval Joseph and Eric Kendricks, who are both very productive. It'll be difficult, you know, for that. I mean, they'll have to kind of go out and, and run to the outside where they're running directly into Daniel Hunter and Everson Griffin, who are both also excellent against the run. So I, I don't see a lot of paths for them to get a run game going. However, I also think that stopping the pass will probably be more important. So when it comes to pass rushing, this is where it gets a little weird because you have a mobile quarterback, right? So do you attack Daniel Jones like you would attack, say, Russell Wilson, say, you know, Kyler Murray like they did in the preseason and do that kind of thing where you, you know, play very soft, play contain and let the interior rushers, you know, take over. But the weak spots of this particular offensive line are on the edges. The tackles have struggled a bunch. Uh, Mike Remmers, with whom we are very familiar, and Nate Solder have both given up more pressures uh, individually than Riley Reef and Brian O'Neill almost combined. They've given up 11 and 13 respectively, while, while Reef and O'Neill have only given up 7 and 5, just to give you like a reference for what we're talking about here. So I think I'm okay with, with letting, you know, uh, Daniel Jones try to break contain a little bit. If he does scramble some, you know, hopefully against zone coverages, you can, you can crash down and, and prevent it from becoming a huge play. But I kind of want to chase the rookie around and make him improvise. Make him think he's playing hero ball and you're in a nice tight zone and pick him off. I think you can generate 
turnovers that way. So there's a whole bunch of reasons why I'm like really bullish on this game. I think I said 31-14 was like my final score. Eh, 14 is probably a little bit mean, uh, but more something like 31-20. In any case, you know, I, I took the Vikings at plus 5.5 or minus 5.5. I'm sorry. And I feel absolutely great about it. I really do think the Vikings can step into the Meadowlands and beat up the Giants. I, I think that the, the way that their flaws are situated, they line up exactly with the Vikings' strengths. And I think that the the Vikings' weaknesses line up in areas where the Giants just don't have the firepower to really take advantage in the same way that, like, Everson Griffin versus Nate Solder, that's going to be a bloodbath. Daniil Hunter versus Mike Remmers, we watched that be a bloodbath game in and or day in and day out in training camp and in preseason and in practice all the time. That's going to be the same bloodbath we're all familiar with. So get that rookie under pressure, get those tight zone coverages, you know, those, I'm thinking, you know, these like easy cover threes and cover twos and stuff that the Vikings are very, you know, well versed in and very well practiced in. I don't think you'd have to do anything special. You don't have to use a whole bunch of exotic blitzes, just let your edge rushers feast break off that quarterback's brain and watch him start to make mistakes. He's had a reasonable start, but he's still a rookie, and Mike Zimmer, Josh Allen notwithstanding, is pretty good against rookie quarterbacks. So, on that note, this is an optimistic episode. (sighs) All this positivity, I am going to leave Locked on Vikings for the week. If there is some kind of crazy digs thing, and I'm totally wrong about my speculation that, or my, my, I guess, relaying of reporting that there will not be a digs trade, if something happens or he goes on indefinite leave and we have to talk about it, I might do an emergency show. Uh, I will be out of town this weekend, so it might not line up like as timely as I wish it was, but I'll try to be as on top of that as I can. But barring anything crazy, this will be the last time we talk before the Giants game. It's Thursday. Set your fantasy lineups and get your bets in. And I will talk to you all on Monday. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at LukeBronNFL. You can find the show on Twitter at LockedOnVikings. You can find the show anywhere you find your favorite podcast or just ask your smart device to play podcast LockedOnVikings. I'll see you all next week with a recap of the Giants game, and then we will move into Philadelphia. And as always, Skull. Hey, sports fans. My name is Ben Beacon. I'm the host of Locked On Wolves, the Minnesota Timberwolves podcast on the Locked On NBA Network. The Wolves might be in the middle of what's turned out to be a pretty miserable season, but there's still plenty to talk about. From the aftermath of the trade deadline to looking ahead at what moves Gerson Rosas and the front office might be planning for the summer, to the possibility that all-star snub Carl Anthony Towns could go off on any given night, it's still going to be a fun spring. Tune into Locked On Wolves daily, Monday through Friday. I'm Ben Beacon with Locked On Wolves. And we'll catch you next time.